Three Great Virtues, Three Essays, by Emerson. Section 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Three Great Virtues, Three Essays by Ralph Waldo Emerson, Self-Reliance, Part 3. 1. In what prayers do men allow themselves? That which they call a holy office is not so much as brave and manly. Prayer looks abroad and asks for some foreign addition to come through some foreign virtue, and loses itself in endless mazes of natural and supernatural, and mediatorial and miraculous. Prayer that craves a particular commodity, anything less than all good, is vicious. Prayer is the contemplation of the facts of life from the highest point of view. It is the soliloquy of a beholding and jubilant soul. It is the Spirit of God pronouncing His works good. But prayer as a means to effect a private end is meanness and theft. It supposes a dualism and not unity in nature and consciousness. As soon as the man is at one with God, he will not beg. He will then see prayer in all action. The prayer of the farmer kneeling in his field to weed it. The prayer of the rower kneeling with the stroke of his oar are true prayers heard throughout nature, though for cheap ends. Karatok in Fletcher's Banduka, when admonished to inquire the mind of the god Audate, replies, quote, His hidden meaning lies in our endeavors. Our valors are our best gods. End quote. Another sort of false prayers are our regrets. Discontent is the want of self-reliance. It is infirmity of will. Regret calamities if you can thereby help the sufferer. If not, attend your own work, and already the evil begins to be repaired. Our sympathy is just as base. We come to them who weep foolishly and sit down and cry for company, instead of imparting to them truth and health in rough electric shocks, putting them once more in communion with their own reason. The secret of fortune is joy in our hands. Welcome evermore to gods and men is the self-helping man. For him all doors are flung wide, him all tongues greet, 
all honors crown, all eyes follow with desire. Our love goes out to him and embraces him because he did not need it. We solicitously and apologetically caress and celebrate him because he held on his way and scorned our disapprobation. The gods love him because men hated him. Quote, to the preserving mortal, end quote, said Zoroaster, quote, the blessed immortals are swift, end quote. As men's prayers are a disease of the will, so are their creeds a disease of the intellect. They say with those foolish Israelites, quote, let God not speak to us lest we die. Speak thou, speak any man with us, and we will obey, end quote. Everywhere I am hindered of meeting God in my brother, because he has shut his own temple doors and recites fables merely of his brother's or his brother's brother's God. Every new mind is a new classification, if it prove a mind of uncommon activity and power, a lock a Lavoisier, a Hutton, a Bentham, a Fourier. It imposes its classification on other men, and lo, a new system. In proportion to the depth of the thought, and so to the number of objects it touches and brings within reach of the pupil, is his complacency. But chiefly is this apparent in creeds and churches, which are also classifications of some powerful mind acting on the elemental thought of duty and man's relation to the highest. Such is Calvinism, Quakerism, Swedenborgism. The pupil takes the same delight in subordinating everything to the new terminology as a girl who has just learned botany in seeing a new earth and new seasons thereby. It will happen for a time that the pupil will find his intellectual power has grown by the study of his master's mind. But in all unbalanced minds, the classification is idolized, passed for the end and not for speedily exhaustible means, so that the walls of the system blend to their eyes in the remote horizon with the walls of the universe. The luminaries of heaven seem to them hung on the arch their masters built. They cannot imagine how you aliens have any right to see. How you can see. Quote, it must be somehow that you stole the light from us, end quote. 
they do not yet perceive that light, unsystematic, indomitable, will break into any cabin, even into theirs. Let them chirp a while and call it their own. If they are honest and do well, presently their neat new pinfold will be too straight and low, will crack, will lean, will rot and vanish. And the immortal light, all young and joyful, million-orbed, million-colored, will beam over the universe as on the first morning. 2. It is for want of self-culture that the superstition of traveling, whose idols are Italy, England, Egypt, retains its fascination for all educated Americans, they who made England, Italy, or Greece venerable in the imagination did so by sticking fast where they were, like an axis of the earth. In manly hours we feel that duty is our place. The soul is no traveler. The wise man stays at home, and when his necessities his duties on any occasion call him from his house or into foreign lands, he is at home still, and shall make men sensible by the expression of his countenance that he goes, the missionary of wisdom and virtue, and visits cities and men like a sovereign not like an interloper or a valet. I have no curlish objection to the circumnavigation of the globe for the purposes of art, of study, and benevolence, so that man is first domesticated or does not go abroad with the hope of finding somewhat greater than he knows. He who travels to be amused, or to get somewhat which he does not carry, travels away from himself, and grows old even in youth among old things. In Thebes, in Palmyra, his will and mind have become old and dilapidated as they. He carries ruins to ruins. Traveling is a fool's paradise. Our first journeys discover to us the indifference of places. At home I dream that at Naples, at Rome, I can be intoxicated with beauty and lose my sadness. I pack my trunk, embrace my friends, embark on the sea, and at last wake up in Naples, and there beside me is the stern fact, the sad self, unrelenting, identical, that I fled from. I seek the Vatican and the palaces. I affect to be intoxicated with sights and suggestions, but I am not intoxicated, 
my giant goes with me wherever I go. 3. But the rage of traveling is a symptom of a deeper unsoundness, affecting the whole intellectual action. The intellect is vagabond, and our system of education fosters restlessness. Our minds travel when our bodies are forced to stay home. We imitate, and what is imitation but the traveling of the mind? Our houses are built with foreign taste. Our shelves are garnished with foreign ornaments. Our opinions, our tastes, our faculties lean and follow the past and the distant. The soul created the arts wherever they have flourished. It was in his own mind that the artist sought his model. It was an application of his own thought to the thing to be done and the conditions to be observed. And why need we copy the Doric or Gothic model? Beauty, convenience, grandeur of thought, and quaint expression are as near to us as to any. And if the American artist will study with hope and love the precise thing to be done by him, considering the climate, the soil, the length of the day, the wants of the people, the habit and form of the government, he will create a house in which all these will find themselves fitted, and taste and sentiment will be satisfied also. Insist on yourself, never imitate. Your own gift you can present every moment with the cumulative force of a whole life's cultivation but of the adopted talent of another you have only an extemporaneous half-possession. That which each can do best, none but his maker can teach him. No man yet knows what it is, nor can, till that person has exhibited it. Where is the master who could have taught Shakespeare? Where is the master who could have instructed Franklin, or Washington, or Bacon, or Newton? Every great man is a unique. The Scipionism of Scipio is precisely that part he could not borrow. Shakespeare will never be made by the study of Shakespeare. Do that which is assigned to you, and you cannot hope too much or dare too much. There is at this moment for you an utterance brave and grand as that of the colossal chisel of Phyades or trowel of the Egyptians, or the pen of Moses or Dante, but different from all these. Not possibly will the soul, all rich, all eloquent, with thousand cloven tongue, 
deign to repeat itself but if you can hear what these patriarchs say surely you can reply to them in the same pitch of voice for the ear and the tongue are two organs of one nature abide in the simple and noble regions of thy life obey thy heart and thou shalt reproduce the foreworld again for as our religion our education our art look abroad so does our spirit of society all men plume themselves on the improvement of society and no man improves society never advances it recedes as fast on one side as it gains on the other it undergoes continual changes it is barbarous it is civilized it is christianized it is rich it is scientific but this change is not amelioration for everything that is given something is taken society acquires new arts and loses old instincts what a contrast between the well-clad reading writing thinking american with a watch a pencil and a bill of exchange in his pocket and the new zealander whose property is a club a spear a mat and an undivided twentieth of a shed to sleep under but compare the health of the two men and you shall see that the white man has lost his aboriginal strength if the traveller tell us truly strike the savage with a broad axe and in a day or two the flesh shall unite and heal as if you struck the blow into soft pitch and the same blow shall send the white man to his grave the civilized man has built a coach but has lost the use of his feet he is supported on crutches but lacks so much support of muscle he has a fine geneva watch but he fails of the skill to tell the hour by the sun a greenwich nautical almanac he has and so being sure of the information when he wants it the man in the street does not know a star in the sky the solstice he does not observe the equinox he knows as little and the whole bright calendar of the year is without a dial in his mind his notebooks impair his memory his libraries overload his wit the insurance office increases the number of accidents and it may be a question whether machinery does not encumber whether we have not lost by refinement some energy by a christianity entrenched in establishments and forms some vigor of wild virtue for every stoic was a stoic 
but in Christendom where is the Christian? There is no more deviation in the moral standard than in the standard of height or bulk. No greater men are now than ever were. A singular equality may be observed between the great men of the first and of the last ages. Nor can all the science, art, religion, and philosophy of the nineteenth century avail to educate greater man than Plutarch's heroes three or four and twenty centuries ago. Not in time is the race progressive. Phocion, Socrates, Anaxagoras, Diogenes are great men, but they leave no class. He who is really of their class will not be called by their name, but will be his own man, and in his turn the founder of a sect. The arts are inventions of each period, and are only its costume, and do not invigorate them. The harm of the improved machinery may compensate its good. Hudson and Baring accomplished so much in their fishing boats as to astonish Parry and Franklin, whose equipment exhausted the resources of science and art. Galileo, with an opera glass, discovered a more splendid series of celestial phenomena than any other since. Columbus found the new world in an undecked boat. It is curious to see the periodical disuses and perishing of means and machinery which were introduced with loud laudation a few years or centuries before. The great genius returns to essential man. We reckoned the improvements of the art of war among the triumphs of science, and yet Napoleon conquered Europe by the bivouac, which consisted of falling back on naked valor and disencumbering it of any aids. The emperor held it impossible to make a perfect army, says Las Cases, quote, without abolishing our arms, magazines, commissaries, and carriages, until, in imitation of the Roman custom, the soldier should receive his supply of corn, grind it in his hand-mill, and bake his bread himself." End quote. Society is a wave. The wave moves onward, but the water of which it is composed does not. The same particle does not rise from the valley to the ridge. Its unity is only phenomenal. The person who makes up a nation today, next year dies, and their experience with them. And so the reliance on property including the reliance on governments which protect it, 
is the want of self-reliance. Men have looked away from themselves at things so long that they have come to esteem the religious, learned, and civil institutions as guards of property, and they deprecate assaults on these, because they feel them to be assaults on property. They measure their esteem of each other by what each has and not by what each is. But a cultivated man becomes ashamed of his property out of new respect for his nature. Especially he hates what he has if he sees that it is accidental, came to him by inheritance or gift or crime then he feels that it is not having, it does not belong to him, has not root in him, and merely lies there because no revolution or robber takes it away. But that which a man is does always by necessity acquire, and what the man acquires is living property which does not wait the beck of rulers, or mobs, or revolutions, or fire, or storm, or bankruptcies, but perpetually renews itself wherever the man breathes. Quote, Thy lot or portion of life, end quote, says the Calphi Ali, quote, is seeking after thee, therefore be at rest from seeking after it. Our dependence on these foreign goods leads us to our slavish respect for numbers. The political parties meet in numerous conventions. The greater the concourse, and with each new uproar of announcement, the delegation from Essex, the Democrats from New Hampshire, the Whigs of Maine. The young patriot feels himself stronger than before by a new thousand of eyes and arms. In like manner, the reformers summon conventions and vote and resolve in multitude. Not so, O oh friends. Will the God deign to enter and inhabit you, but by a method precisely the reverse? It is only as a man puts off all foreign support and stands alone that I see him to be strong and to prevail. He is weaker by every recruit to his banner. Is not a man better than a town? Ask nothing of men, and in the endless mutation thou only firm column must presently appear the upholder of all that surrounds thee. He who knows that power is inborn, that he is weak because he has looked for good out of him and elsewhere, and so, perceiving, throws himself unhesitatingly on his thought, instantly writes himself 
stands in the erect position, commands his limbs, works miracles. Just as a man who stands on his feet is stronger than a man who stands on his head. So use all that is called fortune. Most men gamble with her and gain all, and lose all as her wheel rolls. But do thou leave as unlawful these winnings, and deal with cause and effect, the chancellors of God. In the will work and acquire, and thou hast chained the wheel of chance, and shalt sit hereafter out of fear from her rotations. A political victory, a rise of rents, the recovery of your sick, or return of your absent friend, or some other favorable event raises your spirits, and you think good days are preparing for you. Do not believe it. Nothing can bring you peace but yourself. Nothing can bring you peace but the triumph of principles. End of the Essay on Self-Reliance by Ralph Waldo Emerson Recording by Robert Scott MojoMove411.com M-O-J-O-M-O-V-E 411.com August the 9th, 2007